The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olas Media. Olas Media. Olas Media presents Nation State of Play. each episode, we explore the political forces driving public policy across California. We dig deep on federal and state topics to find out what politicians are doing, and most interestingly, why they're doing it. We explore these topics with political insiders, advocates, and policymakers themselves to get below the headlines and show you the true forces shaping our nation's state. Nation State of Play. Thanks for listening today. We have a great guest, Janice Norman with Cal Broadband, uh, represents the broadband providers throughout the state. We've talked about this issue on the podcast before, but we've never really focused on the issue of availability of broadband. And Janice has a unique perspective on this, really gets to work on both the access issues, which we have covered, and we're going to have him back at some point to talk more about those. But in this episode, we really focus on who literally does not have access to broadband in California? Why is that? What can we do to close the gap? What the CPUC can do and what potentially the legislature can do? So I thought this was a really interesting discussion. Get into um, some big picture issues about how we are structured from a regulatory perspective in California and what and and maybe whether that's the right way to do it. Um, but Janice is an extremely knowledgeable guest on this. I thought this was a great conversation. So hope you will listen. Stay with us. Janice Norman with Cal Broadband coming up right after this. New developments in the Golden State Killer. things unknown. He raped a 29-year-old housewife. Her husband was tied up nearby and had to listen. Go Inside the Crime Files with Anne Marie Schubert, the district attorney who helped put away the Golden State Killer. Inside the Crime Files with Anne Marie Schubert. Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Well, Janice, thanks so much for being on the show today. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, great. So, could we start off by uh, you telling us a little bit about your organization, who you represent, and what you focus on? Yeah, we are, we are the California Broadband and Video Association, commonly referred to as Cal Broadband. Uh, we're the largest state mm-hmm. trade association for cable broadband providers. Um, it, when you think about our membership, uh, it's Comcast, it's Charter, it's, it's Cox, it's Down, Mediacom. Um, those individuals that are providing you with um, your traditional cable TV packages, But more importantly, they're providing you with connectivity or broadband services to get you connected to high speed Internet, um, as well as a suite of services um, that are that are delivered through that infrastructure um, is our membership. And so uh, we've been around uh, since 1962. Uh, We've grown up with the cable industry uh, and we have been focusing as an advocacy organization to try to make sure our companies are operating in an environment that allows them to continue the innovation that has been driving, um, quite frankly, um, advancements in business and in education and in healthcare, sort of you name it across the board. So that's a little bit about who we are. Right, yeah, super helpful overview. Um, We've talked about this topic on the show a few times, really excited to have you on because we we haven't really had the the broadband providers viewpoint on this and exactly, you know, what 
what is holding us back from uh, closing some of these digital divides. But could you just give us an overview of, of where you think California is sort of at a high level on this topic? And, and it, obviously, we know these issues have sort of come to the forefront during COVID. Yeah. But but yeah, just kind of set the stage for us as to where you think we are. So, so at a high level, California is doing well, uh, but could be doing a lot better. Uh, and why do I say that we're doing well? We have um, about 98% of California households and locations have access to uh, broadband infrastructure. They have the ability to get on high-speed internet, conduct Zoom interviews, um, transfer large amounts of data uh, back and forth. Um, adoption levels are a little bit lower. Um, but the reason that we could do better uh, is because we still have that 2 to 3% um, availability gap that we need to be able to close. Um, closing the availability gap is one of two significant sort of policy buckets when you talk about closing the digital divide. Um, and the other side of that policy bucket is adoption. Um, and adoption is multifaceted. Um, it has to do with, you know, do, do individuals find relevancy to be connected to high-speed internet? Um, are people, you know, not afraid <laughs> of it? So digital literacy, things of that nature. And then of course, affordability. Um, and so California has been putting uh, over time, a ton of resources into these efforts, um, but we really haven't gotten to the place where there's a comprehensive um, plan that sort of connects the dots between state resources federal resources, the activity of the private sector to close the availability gap, and then allow us to really focus on um, um, how do we increase uh, our levels of adoption. Um, and so California's performing well, but, but clearly there's room for improvement. Uh, and coming out of the pandemic, policymakers, the governor's office, and the legislature, um, the Public Utilities Commission, and others are clearly focused on it. And so it's a fantastic uh, moment in time to be engaged uh, in this uh, policy area because there's an opportunity to really make progress on closing the digital divide. All right, so so that's really a helpful framework: availability and adoption. Let's start with this two percent on availability. So so where where is that? Why is that? How how should we think about what the availability gap is? Yeah, um, you should think about the availability gap. <laughs> it exists primarily. Uh, in rural areas, rural remote areas that that physically just don't have the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, th that is where it's most pervasive. Um, there are pockets in uh, urban and suburban areas that don't have connectivity. Usually there is um, logical reasons on why they don't have connectivity. Sometimes uh, you're in historic districts uh, and you literally can't put the fiber lines um, because of the way the um, uh, building and code section requirements of those geographic areas. Um, so, so you have those sort of um, little pockets within urban areas. But when you think about it, mostly it's in the rural areas. And it's a function of less dense populations, um, when you sort of think about it historically. Um, from the broadband provider perspective, I think it's important to take sort of two steps back. The industry really grew out of private investment. 
Um, and so you think about us where, where broadband has come uh, in the early 90s, right? You got mail, the internet essentially <laughs> existed on yeah. a CD-ROM right. uh, to where we are now, where, um, uh, well, CD-ROMs don't even really exist anymore, but you're on the edge of deployment of 10G. Uh, right. We're having people talking about entering into the metaverse and all the different um, functions and activity you can do with virtual reality. And we've been able to do that over uh, uh, a 20, 20 well, multi-decade, but relatively short period of time. Um, in order to make that work from a private investment standpoint, you had to look at going to places that had density, right? Sure. You have to be able to have a business model that's going to provide sufficient revenue to update and maintain and innovate um, those infrastructures so that the infrastructure stays ahead of the needs of the specific marketplaces or industries that are using that infrastructure to deliver their business, right? So for example, just to put it into quick layman's terms, right? In the 1990s, the notion of what Amazon is, right, was non-existent. Unthinkable. Yeah. It was unthinkable, right? Yeah. And what has been fascinating about the cable broadband industry and broadband providers as a collective is they had to be thinking about how do you create a network that would allow an Amazon to exist right. before people even conceived of an Amazon. Right. Uh, and that's the challenge um, that our engineers uh, and industry continues to work through is how do we innovate this infrastructure to, to allow for the creative minds to push for what's next. Um, I say all that to circle back to the point, it centered around areas of density. Those typically were rural, I mean, urban and suburban areas. Infrastructure typically is built out um, to those communities. Um, those more rural remote areas um, have been slower to develop. Um, mm -hmm. And part of the reason it's been slower to develop has just been less dense populations. Um, and so the business model um, didn't necessarily work. I think the pandemic um, sped up a conversation about what is the government or public sector's role in providing investments and in building out those infrastructures to those areas. Much more conversations about how do you get broadband to rural communities and what does that rural um, build out look like? How do you connect them to middle miles, so on and so forth? Um, that is really changing the dynamics of how fast we can actually get everyone connected. So circling back to your question about the 2%, I, I think it's an exciting time um, in California um, when you think about um, prior to all of the federal money coming really into play, California set a goal of connecting 98% um, of various regions. They broke the state up into regions. Mm -hmm. um, so that you were doing an equitable comparison about how are we performing in terms of build out. Um, and what they said as a goal is by 2032, in each of those regions, whether it's a rural region or an urban region, we want to be at 98% um, availability in terms of uh, people's ability to access um, broadband infrastructure. And with the state investment and with the federal investment, if we're focused, um, on that goal, uh, we actually have the resources to get there. Okay, so 
and, and I'm forgive my technical ignorance here, but is somebody who doesn't in that two percent who doesn't have broadband access does that essentially overlap with not having cable? Is that is that really are we, are we saying essentially the same thing? Yeah, you could essentially say that. Um, okay. um, yes, I understand. I understand um, sort of the connection you're trying to make. I, I would say it. I mean, people have various cable TV packages. In, in, sure. In yeah. so, well, let me say it this way. Let me answer your question this way. Um, broadband is um, the ability to deliver data at a certain speed. Um, typically, you talk about 25, per, 25 megabits per second download. Really, um, what the industry is trying to get to, what people are sort of setting the build-out standards to, is 100 megabits per second download. So if you're able to hit that speed, you're categorized as broadband. Okay. Um, the, um, in the delivery of broadband, there are multiple technologies. Cable broadband is a specific type of wireline technology that delivers that service. Um, in addition to sort of cable, uh, broadband, uh, technology, there's also fiber to the home, mm -hmm. um, where you're taking direct fiber all the way to, uh, um, a location. Um, that's a different type of technology. Uh, fixed wireless, um, which is um, being promoted by your like your T-Mobiles, um, with where they talk about 5G. That's another type of, of of broadband technology. And then you have the emergence of satellite um, that's right. coming into place as well. So, so really, any of those things can be broadband. So. So, so, so totally wireless, just, and this is helpful to get the terminology, today. so totally wireless, like 5G, that can be broadband. That can be broadband. Wireless. Okay. Yeah. And, and satellite, which is of course totally wireless, that can be broadband. It, it could also be cable. Yeah. When it's, when it's cable, is that literally the same cable that delivers your, your cable TV service? It is. Or is that, okay. It is. It's the same uh, uh, infrastructure that delivers your cable, or we would call it a video package, okay. um, but your cable TV. Uh, it's the same infrastructure that delivers your voice services. Um, most people have sort of switched over to what we call VoIP, so voice over internet protocol. Um, and so they're getting their voice services, which allows for really companies to bundle sets of services together um, and, and provide more of a holistic um, uh, package of services uh, to their customer base. Okay. And and so so that two percent these these um these sort of rural areas is do you do you anticipate that the best way to close that is through a wireless solution or or could it be a combination of of all these things? Logistically, it's going to have to be a combination of both. Okay. Um, there there will be some areas. Um, just to take two steps back, even when we talk about wireless, mm -hmm. um you still have wires. It's still, you're connecting your <laughs> mobile device to a router that's connected to a pole that's got fiber somewhere that's going to a, to a head end. Um, sort of your back end infrastructure is substantially similar. When we talk about wireless, usually what you're referring to is sort of the ability to communicate from, just to oversimplify it, from a pole to a wireless router. Um, okay. without sort of having a line that goes to the house. Oversimplified, my engineers would probably get mad at me uh, <laughs> for making that, making, making that simplification. But um, when you think about the topography 
of California and sort of the way certain geographic areas are laid out, realistically, you're going to have to have a combination of wireline solution and wireless solutions. Gotcha. Um, we recognize uh, and we quite in fact, we celebrate um, that in most um, um, perspectives, um, your your wire lined solutions are the most future proof um, in terms of its ability to provide the present day speeds that that industry or individuals need uh, and the ability to upgrade those networks to provide um, the future speeds of what an industry or individuals um, need. So we, we appreciate that wireline technology is the favored technology in terms so of- So when you can do that, out. when we can do that, that's better in terms of future-proofing and- Yeah, sure that's that better, can, yeah. but but okay. sometimes um, it's it's it would be not reasonable to suggest that you're gonna run into some situations where, where wireless solution or wireless technology is not the preferred technology for that individual project, which I think is why it's important. Um, right now, the um, um, Public Utilities Commission is operating three programs. Oh, well, it's operating two programs and a third program will come online. Right now, there's a program called the Infrastructure Grant Account Program. Uh, and then there is a federal fund account program those programs are designed to provide state and federal resources to broadband providers um, for the purpose of connecting um, unserved households um, and communities. It's really important that those programs um, open up application windows. Um, when you think about the IGA account or the infrastructure grant account, it hasn't opened up a new grant application window in two years. Um, and there's re there's millions of dollars um, sitting there that are ready to be um, um, applied for by internet service providers. Um, the FFA account, um, which includes some of those federal resources that were delivered to states um, during the pandemic, uh, has about $2 billion that's sitting in that account. Um, and, and what's needed at this moment is the ability to open up those application windows, particularly on the IGA um, uh, um, IGA program so that people can start applying for those grants. Uh, and you will see in, in, in most instances, those are wire aligned providers that are providing, um, that are applying for those grants. Uh, and those individuals have typically done their due diligence about where it makes sense to deploy that wire line infrastructure. And as you open up those grant applications, it will provide a lot of clarity about where wireline solutions may not make sense and you need to consider some other technologies. Okay, gosh. So I, I definitely wanna get into adoption, but one more question about access. So 98%, um, uh, that, that's obviously good, but but still not sufficient as you say. Right. Can you give us a sense of how fast that that has closed, maybe, maybe even during COVID? Like where were we five years ago? What, what, would, what would the number have been if, if I asked you this five, five years ago or so? Um, I, I don't have the number, uh, the five years ago number, particularly in my head, um, but that number has, we've made significant progress is, is the way I would answer that, that yeah. question. Um, um, mostly um, when you think about the build out, continuous build out and construction um, within urban areas 
suburban areas. Most of all of your new construction has broadband built into that uh, build out project plan. Sure. Um, most of your cities um, have been, you know, um, um, constructed in, in that manner. Um, and then you're, you're, you're again, um, through the infrastructure grant account program, there has been sort of this um, steady drumbeat um, of state participation um, in getting those out. All of that really has been marginal growth. The most growth really has been internet service providers like, like our member companies, Comcast, Charter, Cox, looking to spread out and get into different communities um, and, and increase the size of their network so they could increase the size of their um, customer base. Mm -hmm. um, and as they have continually and consistently um, invested billions of dollars um, into their infrastructure, you've seen more and more houses um, get get built up. I'll just give you just an example. In, in 2021 alone, Charter put in $1.1 billion in infrastructure build out and investments and improvement. And so when you have that kind of consistent Sure. Uh, investment from the private sector, you're able to move that needle from, you know, 92 to to, to 98, where we're sitting at now. Great. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. And and you said COVID, I think you said COVID has accelerated the conversation, but have you actually seen accelerated progress to, since COVID? I, I think the accelerated progress is, um, let me let me say it this way. During the pandemic, um, there were two significant, well, three significant things that happened that haven't been implemented yet. Um, and, and I think once those um, projects are implemented, we will see rapid progress um, in, in, in closing that 2%. Um, the first thing that was done um, was essentially the, um, COVID relief funds or the ARPA funds that were passed at the federal level, California decided to invest a lot of that, uh, about again, about $2 billion um, into last mile projects. Okay. Um, there's the infrastructure grant account um, that I had referred to earlier, that the PUC has the authority to collect surcharge revenue up to $150 million in authority. They've typically been around $70 million of what they've collected and tried to deploy um, um, that those two pots of existing dollars right now are sitting on the sidelines okay. um, because a grant application window hasn't been opened. Um, and again, point of emphasis being on the infrastructure grant account um, because that's a known program. You have many providers that are anxiously waiting for that application window to open um, so that they can apply. We believe that that application window um, will open in May. The the PUC recently put out um, um, a delay in in there was supposed to be an April April application window. And it's now looking like it's going to be delayed one month. Um, we are anxiously anticipating that. Uh, and then the third piece um, is the um, passing of the bead program. Um, so there is. Uh, $42 billion nationwide um, that is specifically set aside, that will be allocated um, at by the federal government to all 50 states and territories 
uh, as apportioned by their unserved locations. Um, and so we will get that allocation um, in the middle of the summer is what we are mm -hmm. anticipating. I think once you see those three programs off the sidelines implemented, and if they're implemented in a way that is harmonized and focused on um, closing that availability gap, um, I think we'll see rapid progress. I I'll just pause to say, the, the reason I keep saying if they're focused on closing the availability gap is because much of the policy discussion um, that's been happening around broadband Unfortunately, there, there's been this conflating between solutions for of how do you solve the availability gap problem mm -hmm. at two to three percent, and how do you solve the adoption problem, right? Yeah. How do you move people from you know 70 to 80 percent adoption in some areas up closer to sort of you know 100 percent adoption um, uh, or a reasonable higher level uh, of adoption. Um, and um, what we have seen is people trying to use sort of availability dollars um, to have a discussion about adoption. The more we see the conflating of those two, the less efficient and effective we'll be yeah. um, in expending those dollars. And California is an expensive place to build. <laughs> um, sure. And the more you're not efficient and effective with those dollars, the less likely you'll actually be able to close that two to three percent availability gap. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned the the national availability. I have to imagine California is significantly higher than the country as a whole in terms of availability. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair to say. Um, so according to um, NCTA, which is the National Trade Association uh, for for cable broadband providers, and they also represent some programmers. Um, their data says that 88% of U.S. homes have access to gigabit speed uh, internet speeds. Okay. So um, in looking at sort of California, um, we're outpacing the nation. There's been a lot of progress made uh, in terms of increasing um, the availability of, of broadband services across the country. Um, but you would anticipate California to be a little bit ahead um, when you think about sort of the nature of, of the industries in California, whether it's Silicon Valley or you're talking about Hollywood, right? You've got, you got industries that rely on the ability to communicate data um, back and forth in a, in, a, in a manner that would require sort of broadband infrastructure. I, I've never really been to, uh, I've never been to South Dakota, but I, I doubt they would have <laughs> sort of the same demands. Um, so you would expect that California would be ahead in that infrastructure development. But, but I will say, though, because um, um, when you think about what the point that you've made, though, about the fact that California is in competition with the rest of the nation is really important. Um, when you think about um, whether it's the bead funding, which is a set pot of money, um, but even when you take it out of sort of the, the public policy environment and you put it into the real nuts and bolts of how um, broadband infrastructure gets gets made and developed. We're in competition for the work crews that are going to be uh, actually doing the work. So workforce we're in competition mm -hmm. with. We're in competition with the private investment dollars um, that companies are going to put up as matching funds or, or um, build out their own projects. 
Um, and so I think California has to think about itself a little bit differently um, in respect to this moment in time in, in the broadband policy conversation. Rightfully so, California oftentimes thinks of itself as the leader, um, right? It's ahead of the pack. But the way the, the broadband, um, the emphasis to expand rapidly the availability of broadband has placed all the states geographically into one, uh, uh, have placed all the states geographically at one table and they're right. all competing for the same resources. So um, when, when we talk about um, um, the IGA not having an application window, it's been delayed till May. When we talk about the fact that the FFA account hasn't had um, an application window open, other states have already opened up those application windows and people are applying um, and those projects are underway. And so when you have to, when you think about sort of uh, my engineers and my construction managers, and they're thinking about, okay, we've got X amount of dollars to deploy in X amount of time. And California hasn't even entered the race yet. Even though in the they're going to move to other states that are that are off and running. Right. Um, and so I think it's really imperative that while it is utterly justified that California thinks of itself as a leader in many regards, when we think about the competitive nature of the broadband um, uh, marketplace at this moment in time, I think California needs to think about how does it create the competitive advantages that we would have over a Nevada or over a Georgia, because it's it's oftentimes you know the same companies, the same builders um, that are providing that infrastructure, uh, and that infrastructure that expertise is needed in other industries as well. So oftentimes, when you think about um, broadband infrastructure. Um, the easiest way to think about it is we're, we we exist on the same poles as uh, your energy companies and your telephone companies, mm -hmm. right? And so, mm -hmm. typically speaking, I mean, oversimplify, you've got one company that that's that's doing the infrastructure on the poles. Uh, if that company right. is doing if they're, the job, if, if they're going Georgia, to another state to work on, yeah, you're waiting for them to come back. Yeah. Uh, and so, I just think we've got to think about ourselves a little bit differently because there's a uniqueness to the competitive nature of this marketplace at this point in time. And, you know, I think the other thing when we think about is the, the gap in California is, you know, 2%, that might not sound too bad, but 2% in California, that, that's, you know, that that's more people than in most states, even if you're at 10 or 20%, you know, yeah. uh, as, you know, talking about like 800,000 households. And right. The, the, which is bigger the, than, which is bigger than some states, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's why, from my organization's perspective, we want to be laser focused on connecting those um, unserved uh, areas and unserved households. Um, we think that availability and adoption have to be equally weighted priorities. But sometimes if we can close the availability gap in the near term, while we continue to work on adoption issues, you 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 move a huge domino, right? Sure. So one of the one of the complexities when you think about adoption issues, and I know you want to talk about adoption later, but when you think about adoption issues, it's a multifaceted, complex issue, right? right? 
But one of those facets are, do you have access to broadband services? Right, right. <laughs> if we're able one of, the, one of those away, issues is availability, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah so if you're right. able to take away that facet, you've just made adoption that much easier as you address all of the other problems that of course include affordability, of course include digital literacy and, and relevancy and, and all of those, those issues. But I, I think it's, it's incredibly important for us as a state to be laser focused on this notion of, we've got an opportunity at this particular moment that if we create sort of a connective through tissue between the IGA, the FFA, and the fourth and the soon to becoming bead funding, combine that with private resources, we should be able to close that 2% gap. And if we're able to do that, now you're able to put 100% of your attention in the context of this policy area on solving the other facets of adoption. I, I don't really, I think it'd be a, a a failure, quite frankly, if we get to 2032, which is what the state has put in statute as the goal, and we're still having a conversation about availability. And you think about the fact that we've had, you know, upwards of, well, we'll see how much money we get in B, but we'll, we will have had, you know, anywhere between six and eight billion dollars in federal resources to solve for that problem. If we don't stay focused uh, and, and we don't solve for that problem and we're sort of still continuing um, to have that discussion. So, yeah, well said. Um, I, I want to ask, ask this as gently as I can. It's a it's a question I've asked many other guests in many other contexts, but maybe I'll just be fine. Yeah. What, what's the problem with the CPC? What's the hold up? <laughs> <laughs> I think the challenge that the, the, the CPUC has is you've asked an entity that is rooted in a regulatory mentality and mindset mm -hmm. to be responsible for program development. Grant programs that are really not their, their historical. Well, but it's, it's even more than that. It's, it's really thinking about how do you, how are you being a steward of developing a and being a caretaker for a broadband marketplace that is a competitive marketplace um, when your charge is really to regulate monopolies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I think that is a very difficult place to place that institution in. Yeah. Um, I think the people um, that are doing the work are sincere in their efforts and clearly motivated um, um, to deploy the money in a way that is most beneficial to, to California. So I, I don't doubt any of their, their intentions, but when you have a certain, um, set of tools that you've consistently used. Uh, and when your charge has been, you know, you're dealing with monopolies and you're trying to protect consumer interests from monopolies. And, and then you are placed into this moment <laughs> where you're being asked to think about how are you going to help the private sector deploy mm -hmm. 
like that's right. a completely new. It's just not what they do. Not yeah, what they do not, not on a daily do. basis. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact that 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 you know there's been some concerns expressed by the legislature um, about the timing and 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 efforts that they've made is understandable and reasonable. I think they have to get it done. Um, I think. Uh, we are, you know, working with them and having good conversations with them to help them them get it done, um, and and we want to be that partner. Um, but you know, I, I I think it's I think it's a fair question. It's a question that's being raised in the legislature. Is is mm-hmm. is this the right place um, to to be having those sort of broadband discussions? Um, uh, I'm not recalling the 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 bill number. But Assemblymember Tasha Boehner Horbath, who's the chair of the Assembly Committee on Communications and Conveyance, has legislation that looks to create an office of broadband that would pool um, those PUC responsibilities, those Department of Technology responsibilities, all into one place with a board that has some expertise in this area. Now, we've got problems with that legislation. Um, and we'll be talking to the author uh, about that yeah. legislation. But I, I raise it to say that even the legislature is asking the question, like, is it is yeah. this the appropriate place to, to do it? So I, I, I think. Um, so that would actually be a separate entity, not within the CPUC. Is, it would is be that, a separate entity right? under her bill, the way it was right. introduced. Yeah, it wouldn't be under the, the PUC. And uh, I, I under uh, one question. of the other departments, presumably. Um, the way she has it now, it's a standalone entity. She she didn't place it within another okay. state agency. Um, and so I, I mean I think the bill's That's a lot right. of work. Um, um, but but it's I, I think it's I think the point of the bill, and I'm knowing by no means am I trying to speak on, on behalf of, of, of the author, sure. but I think the point of the bill is to to start that conversation and to ask the question, have we organized this correctly? Um, yeah, and, and I think that's a fair question to ask. You know, I, I came from an energy background and the idea of having energy and telecom and I guess water uh, or some water regulated in the same place always struck me as just total square peg and, and round hole, you know, and I, I think the point you, you make is a really good one about like their traditional focus and, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know if you know, your experience is, is sort of maybe has a hard thing to measure, but I got to imagine they have to put way more brain power and time into the energy issues that the state faces and that telecom is just kind of gets what's left in some ways. Is that, you know, it's just, it's just strange that energy is such a complex topic for California, going back to the energy crisis and everything else that, yeah, that just I, has to suck resources, right? I, I wouldn't agree with that characterization. I, I will okay. I will say that it's very fair to say um, if, I mean, you just look at their budget, right? The majority of their resources are directed at sort of the energy space. Right. Um, less resources are directed at the telecommunications space. Um, I I think my interactions with the individuals that you know within the communications division has been most of my interactions. I think they're dedicated, smart people. Um, mm-hmm. um, so you know, I I, I would I, I would definitely not characterize. They're doing the, they're doing their best with what they what they have in terms of resources, but yeah. It, Right, but 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 I, I let me let me say it this way. I, I I think it's I think the focus, the primary focus from a policymaker perspective, um, um, with as it relates to the PUC, especially recently, has been 
in the energy space. Sure. So whether it's traditional energy, whether it's solar, um, you know, the vast majority of that has been has been the has been the focus, right? Like um, recently, um, um, uh, John Reynolds um, went through his confirmation mm -hmm. um, process through the Senate. Um, the, most of the questions uh, within that sure. process related to energy. Sure. Maybe have been, you know, well, controversial front page stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when you think, and, and honestly, well, here's what I would say from an energy perspective. We think that's appropriate. The competitive nature of the marketplace right. has resulted in broadband prices that have trailed inflation. Right. Um, and when you look at the cost of speed over time, we've seen a real cost decrease as speeds have increased in terms of packaging. Right. So the competitive marketplace is actually working right. uh, in terms of making sure that competitors are competing for customers based on increasing their quality of service and decrease or and offering competitive prices. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I I'm happy <laughs> that the majority of the focus isn't on uh on 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 broadband because we don't have sort of the skyrocketing you know price you don't have as much explaining to do as the energy yeah, like we don't have, <laughs> I, I don't have the legislature <laughs> that's saying right. hey i got my bill last month and it was x dollars and i got my bill this month and it's x times 30. Right. like right. the competitive marketplace is working in that regard right. uh and so we want to make sure that we protect that is really our our policy interest is protecting that um, and and making sure that we don't create um, um, a desire or we don't create um, a regulatory and statutory environment that disrupts that because that aspect is right. actually working really well. I, I don't know of too many other industries that can say that their prices are trailing inflation. You're yeah. not going to get that in food costs. Especially You're now. not going to get that in housing costs. And I think that's something that my industry is uh, should be and is incredibly proud of. This is really well said, and and I'm I'm so grateful for your answer on this broader topic of sort of what's going on at the CPC because the, the question we really like to get to in this podcast uh, when we're at our best, when we have fantastic guests like you, is why is this happening? Um, and I and I think your answer is so thoughtful there of 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 just maybe saying, well, maybe this isn't the right way to organize this in in the beginning, and you know it's something sort of been back in my mind for a while yeah. but um but I mean but I think that's a great point yeah I look and 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 it's informed by uh, we just did a um um uh NCTA uh and another uh national association put together how all 50 states um have organized themselves in terms of deploying out um the broadband resources that they've received by the federal government. Mm -hmm. There's only three. Um, most have either created an office of broadband okay. uh, or, or gave it to sort of like a, another elected body. I, I think California is either, if I'm, Cal, California is like, it's like three states that have looked at, that have given that part of that responsibility to a regulatory entity. Interesting. So, so we're an outlier in, in that regard, and I and I think it's I think it's that discussion, right, right. of 
what is it what is it that we're trying to get them to do right, right? um and does that fit into um the services that they typically perform uh, i used to be a uh budget consultant uh in the assembly a, a long long time ago and i was in the public safety space mm -hmm. and a lot of times there was um during that time and even to this time there was a push within our correctional facilities to help them do rehabilitation services. Right. Um, and there was a ton of investment, not the results that people were expecting to see. Um, and I haven't followed it in a long time, but, but part of the reason there was such an overinvestment as it relates to the outcomes was because you were trying to do culture change, right? Mm -hmm. You were trying to do organizational change. You you're were trying, trying to, to take prison, an prison guards to handle rehabilitation. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're trying to take an, uh, an entity that's like our job is to essentially supervise, right? right? We lock up, we supervise, we make sure right. they're fed to an entity that is not only going to do that, but now also they're going to do counseling services and education services and job placement, right? And, th and they're going to focus on them not only while they're in the facility, but now they're going to focus on them when they're back out uh, uh, in the communities and how are you gonna connect them to services? They were things that they had never done before. Right. Um, and so you had to sort of be patient. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think to draw sort of that similarity, I, 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 I think it's really important for policymakers when they're making these decisions to think about, you know, do we have an entity that does this? And I think that was part of the issue with, with, with every state across the country and mm -hmm. even California. You didn't really have an entity that does this. Mm -hmm. um, and so now you're trying to fit, you're, now you're trying to place the responsibility into some entity or create a new entity which has its own complexities um, and, and challenges with it uh, in order to, you know, again, move as fast as you want to move um, and get the money out. So I, I, I'm not there, to me it's, it's a it's a worthy discussion um, and and for evaluation and and figuring out how do we do things better. Well, I think it's a super worthy discussion. I really appreciate you raising it. Um, I would love to have you back on to talk about adoption sometime, but I think we stumbled into something really really important here, yeah. and I'm and I'm glad we were able to spend the the time on it. So, uh, yeah, Janice. If people want to find out more about your organization, if they want to weigh in on any of these issues, uh, where, where can they go? And they've launched a new website. Where can yeah, they our new website is Cal Broadband, so C-A-L broadband.org. Um, we have a contact page there. You can see, you know, where we are on in terms of all of our social media. Uh, you can look at um, our impact page, which details, you know, the work our members are doing in the community. Because um, actually, when you talk about adoption, um, I'm most proud of that work that they're doing in the community, right? Um, oftentimes, uh, as as people in and around the Capitol, um, we think about, you know, what is the impact of policy? Um, but there, there's got to be people that implement it uh, on the day-to-day. -day. And, and the work that my member companies have done in terms of implementing the affordability, uh, the ACP program, so the Affordable Connectivity Program, um, that essentially provides uh, free internet services for those individuals that qualify for it, participating in live events. All of that stuff can be found on our website, uh, calbroadband.org. Great. Well, thanks for being on. Congratulations on all the success on these issues. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to continuing the conversation. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, uh, thank you so much.
We invite you to share ideas for guests, ask questions, and leave comments. You can find us at NeptuneOps.com. Follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California politics. This is the Nation State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening. Olas Media.